This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Hey, hey, it's GMAC, a very special edition of the Blue Bomber Podcast. No Doug Brown. That's not what's special about it. It's who's in his place. <laughs> Bob Irving and Ed Tate joining us. We're at IG Field as we get ready for this coming Sunday's West semifinal. And Bob, maybe I'll start with this question. How big of a disappointment is it for the Blue Bombers overall to not be playing this game at home? Well, when they were 9-3, and three, I think we all thought they would get what they were shooting for this year, Greg, and that was a home game, and specifically the West Final uh, here in Winnipeg. So it's disappointing for sure, and you look back to those two games in particular, the Toronto game where they're up 21 nothing, and the Montreal game where they've got a 30-point lead in the second half, and you just shake your head. Was it 30? Maybe I'm uh, 24. Thanks, that date. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but those are losses that haunt them now as we head into the playoffs and yet you you just gotta sort of forget about that but is it disappointing sure it is yeah we've been talking about it for well probably the entire time Mike O'Shea's been the head coach of this team Ed this idea of one week at a time and are they able to do that in this case and and get past the disappointment that that Bob just described well, you know, I think this is we've seen this coming for a while because that game in Montreal that Bob alluded to where they blew the 24-point lead and then some of the things that happened after that kind of made it, you know, you needed a, a couple miracles to, to get the home playoff game. So this has been on the horizon for a while. And so I think and the bye week helped for them to kind of refocus. And as, as Mike O'Shea said to Bob on the coaches show the other night, they've got to look at it now as a three-game road trip to the Grey Cup and um, you know, you've got this week in Calgary, you win, you, you're in Saskatchewan for the Western final, and then back to Calgary for the Great Cup. That's the approach you have to take. So I'm going to uh, piggyback off a conversation I had with Milt Stiegel. This was going into the Banjo Bowl when I suggested people should be, and lots of people were, I think, hopeful that the Bombers could win based on how they lost in Regina. And Milt didn't like that one little bit. You're telling me that you like the Bombers' chances on Saturday because of how they lost on Sunday? Well, should the Blue Bombers be hopeful about their prospects based on how both Saskatchewan and Calgary played this past weekend when everything was on the line for them? Both teams barely eked out victories against teams that didn't have much to play for. Well, Calgary did not play very well in BC. They won the game, but and some of their players have suggested since then, Greg, that they maybe suffered a letdown when they learned earlier in the day that Saskatchewan had won their game, and so they lost their edge a little. Who knows? But they did not play very well in BC, and they'll have to play better than that to beat the Blue Bombers. And, you know, the Bombers have been closer to Calgary this year than at any time that I can remember. Three games, all decided by four points or less. The Bombers won two of them. So their Calgary's equal, in my view. There's no question their Calgary's equal. And if they can throw Mr. Mitchell off his game just a little bit, and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, but if they can do that, I think they can win this game. Well, on the aggregate, if we want to use the soccer vernacular, they're up by one point, and so to have three games uh, against one team in one season, obviously the Bombers do that every year against two teams in the league, but now to play them three straight games with the Bombers having the bye, there's a, there's a real challenge there, but the intensity might 
really carry over for the Blue Bombers. Not that you need any extra motivation, Ed, in the playoffs, but I mean, this is the only team the Bombers have known for a month. Yeah, it is crazy. Be, you know, the kind of a quirk in the schedule, and then the Bombers having the bye in the last week of the regular season. Calgary still had a game, but this will be the third time in a row for Winnipeg versus Calgary from a Bombers perspective. And I thought we started to see a little bit of that nastiness at the end of the, the game here in Winnipeg, the 29-28 win for Winnipeg, because, uh, you know, they, I, I just think that this is a natural byproduct of playing each other so many times. I, I hope it carries over to Sunday because I love it. It, it is the playoffs. It's do or die and all those other cliches. But uh, the fact that these two teams are so familiar with each other, played in last year's West Final too. That all leads into this, and I think it makes for just outstanding potential drama for, for Sunday. We saw Calgary Stampeder jump into the stands here at IG Field in the last home game, and there was some nastiness. We spoke about it at halftime, and you and I were both excited about that, Ed. So hopefully we'll see that from the get-go. But of course, I think we're burying the lead a little bit to borrow the the vernacular of a newspaperman, if you don't mind, Ed, and that's the fact that Everybody wants to know what's going on at quarterback. Obviously, Bo Levi Mitchell, you touched on it, Bob, is the key in this game, really for both teams, right? Because if he can do what he normally does, it, it could be a long day for the Bombers. But at the same time, they have someone who we suspect will be starting that can answer just about everything that Bo Levi Mitchell does. At least he did in the last game of the regular season. Did I... Did I sum, summarize that okay? Well, did you overrate Zach Kolaris? No, I don't think so. If <laughs> Zach has proven, uh, and he uh, played in a great cup game against Bo a few years ago, if you recall, I think he's proven he's as good as any quarterback in this league when he's healthy and right and all those good things. And he certainly looked that way in that Calgary game. And he will be the Bombers' starting quarterback. There's no doubt about that. I think Chris Trevler, although there's still a question mark to some degree, I think he will dress and have his package that uh, goes in there. But Zach Kolaris is going to have to be really good uh, for the Bombers to win this game because Bo Levi will probably be really good for Calgary. Now, the Bombers shut him down twice late in that last regular season game, got the ball back and won the game. But he threw four touchdown passes. He threw for over 300 yards, which is a normal game for him. Uh, so I expect, and last year in the West Final, when Calgary beat Winnipeg, he was the difference in the game. Bo Levi Mitchell was. He made some, and the Bombers did a good job on him in that game. But at the end of the day, he made the plays that helped them win the game. So, yeah, I think Calaris can measure up to Bo Levi, certainly on, a, on the body of work over a period of time. Bo is one of the best quarterbacks in the history of this league, in my opinion. Uh, but if Zach Calaris is on his game, I don't think the Bombers give away very much at that position. We saw in the Western Final last year, Ed, the struggle at the quarterback position. The Bombers did not get a ton out of Matt Nichols in the passing game. Obviously, Andrew Harris is huge in every game that he suits up for the Blue Bombers, so we don't need to overstate that. But what a wild card this is now to have, if Strevler can suit up and, and contribute, but to have Zach Caleros who... You know, if Bo Levi does what he does, he's going to be 300 yards plus. Well, Zach Caleros, you could probably say the same for him. He's going to be in that 250 range. That changes everything compared to what we saw a year ago in Calgary in the playoffs. You know, when we look at Zach Caleros, I keep coming back to that throw to Darvin Adams in the last game here. And to me, that's the dimension that he brings to this offense and that 
that's no offense to Matt Nichols. That's not how he plays. If that's him in that situation, that ball's thrown out of bounds or, or thrown out of, out the back of the end zone. That's the kind of play that Zach Caleros can make, that Chris Trevler can't, can't make, that Matt Nichols won't make, and and that's maybe the difference in a do or die game. Is that I thought in the Western final last year, the team played you know safe football for the longest time. And it, because it was a one-score game for so long, well, sometimes you need a little bit of magic. You need a little bit of something that's not scripted. And I think that's maybe what Zach Caleros can bring to this offense that has not been lacking, but it's just not the way they've played. So that's a dimension that's that's going to be pretty cool to see if he can, you know, recreate some of that stuff that Bob was talking about when he, you know, when he led the the Ticast of the Great Cup in 2015, I think it was. And he just, you know, he can be a difference maker if he's healthy. How do you approach this on defense, though? Do you concede the idea that you're going to give up 350 yards passing, and then do you game plan around that and and finding the places where you can make a difference, make a big play, find a weak. How do you approach that, Ed? Well, I mean, Bob talked about this too. Bo Levi Mitchell has seen everything. So if you decide, no, you're not. So if you decide you're going to blitz him all day long, he'll pick you apart. If you decide you're going to drop, you know, eight or nine people back into coverage, he's going to pick apart that too. So I think you just got to continue to try to disguise things show them all kinds of different looks. The interesting thing about that game in BC, their last game of the regular season, was that Bo had just a 52.6 completion percentage. It's his lowest of the year. So the Lions clearly did something to make him uncomfortable. And I think the Bombers will probably try to steal a few ideas from what the Lions did defensively to try to, to, try to do that again. But you're right, they're, they're kind of one-dimensional. They don't run the ball very well. I, I suspect they'll try to again, Calgary will, on on Sunday, but it's all about stopping Bo somehow, or at least putting up, you know, a roadblock here or there on him, because he's gonna he's gonna light you up. And and the question now is, can Winnipeg win a game where they have to get into kind of an offensive track meet? Well, and the weather might play a factor in that. It's going to be cold in Calgary, probably not any snow, but does the running game become that much more important in the cold with or without snow, Bob? No, I think it's overrated. The bomber running game is good, but this business of the cold making the running game rise to the fore, Greg, I think for years has been overrated. If you look back at the stats in cold weather games in the playoffs in the CFL, the passing has always been as prevalent as it is during the summer months. And by the way, if Bo throws for 350 yards, the Bombers cannot win this game, in my opinion. They cannot win this game if he throws for 350 yards. That's way too many. So they've got to figure out how to disguise their blitzes and their coverage as best they can. And that's very difficult against him. And they admit that. The Bombers admit it's very difficult to trick Bo. Uh, But they've got to do the best they can do at that. And they can't have those busts in the back end that give you those 30, 40, 50-yard plays. They, you know, you'll get beat in coverage. And Bo's an accurate passer. He's got great receivers, two in particular, and Begleton and Rogers. He's going to make some plays. But if he throws for 350, forget it. Now, the running game, sure, the Bombers have an edge, especially if Streveler can add something to it, and I expect that he will. So they've got a, a significant edge there. And so if Kolaris can be sharp with the passing and not throw any picks... I think the Bomber offense is better balanced, but it all comes back to containing Bo. You know, if he gets his 300-plus yard passing game again, boy, it's tough to beat him. So Jackson Jeffcoat, Willie Jefferson, Drake Nevis, we've we've discussed the, the defensive line quite a bit this year and the effect that they can have on a game when they're playing well. And, of course, Adam Big Hill, the defending defensive outstanding player. But the one guy I love to talk about this year is Kyrie's Wilson. 
and what he's done, pardon me, Kyrie Wilson. Yeah. He's done such a terrific job when Big Hill was out of the lineup and he continues to do uh, great things. I think he leads the Bombers in tackles. I think he finished the season with 63. How big a deal is it to have a guy playing next to Big Hill that looks at him and goes, well, I know I can do your job. So now you've got two studs in the linebacking core. Yeah. Uh, well, Kyrie Wilson's an underrated player in my view. He's one of the unsung heroes on this team. He's an excellent linebacker, and he, he played really well in that last game. So did Big Hill, by the way. I thought Big Hill one of, had one of his better Seven games of the year. Yeah, and a, and a sack. Uh, those guys are, are critically important. And, and this comes back to the Bombers blitzing. You know, you've got to time your blitzes properly because they do a lot of uh, – moving players around and stunting and that sort of thing. And these blitzes, when you when you bring Big Hill or uh, Kyrie Wilson, they've got to be timed up perfectly so that they do get through the crack that's created and get to Bo Levi Mitchell. It's all, it's, coaches talk about execution, but it really comes down to that. But I'm with you on Kyrie Wilson. He's a key player, a guy not many people talk about. And we don't talk to him very often, Ed Tate, because he's a very soft-spoken guy and doesn't have much to say, so we don't interview him very often. But he's really been a solid, solid player. We've mentioned Brandon Alexander and his role at safety, and B.A. will always talk to you if you want to talk. Who's the key player on defense for you, Ed? Well, I'm going to start with the obvious in Willie Jefferson. I think this is the kind of game, this is the time of year why you sign Willie Jefferson as a free agent, because I think he can be a difference maker. You know, people will fixate on those few games where he didn't have a stat. He's still a difference maker, even in those games, because the teams have to game plan against him. They're running away from him, whatever. They're, they're, they know where number five is on the field. That's one for me. And then, I, you know, in the last regular season game for Winnipeg, they made those changes to the one side of the secondary. And you know that Bo Levi Mitchell is going to go at Mike Jones again. He's going to test Mercy Maston. He's going to test Nick Taylor, that side of the secondary. And to me, that's an area that I think... The Bombers, you know, that's, they made the changes for a reason, but I think that Bo Levi Mitchell is probably licking his chops at uh, some guys that are new to those spots too. Winston Rose named an all-star. Can you overstate what he's done this year? He's made some huge plays, some plays that have actually turned games around, big plays in the end zone, uh, in, in the Bombers' defensive end zone. And he, he, in my estimation, there's something about him. He's got that it factor in the defensive backfield, Bob. He, he, he knows when to show up. Well, Willie Jefferson is the Bombers' sort of major free agent acquisition for this season, but Winston Rose was signed as a free agent sort of quietly, and I remember when he was signed, I looked at his, his resume from B.C., started all 18 games, had five interceptions, and I remember him. He's a decent player. I think he's been probably more than decent this year, more than what the Bombers expected, and he just loves it here. I mean, we've talked to him a number of times, and uh, sort of the, the culture here, the, the togetherness, the great locker room that they have. Uh, he's enjoying himself like crazy here this season, and he's been a terrific player. Does it come down to the kicking game, potentially? I mean, Justin Medlock, for uh, all that he does as a place kicker and on kickoffs, his punting, and we've discussed it for the last couple of years, how it's improved his directional kicking. He's become the best placement punter in the league. How important has he become? Well, he's huge. It's funny you, you bring him up. I'm going over some stats here yesterday about punters, and Rob Maver, the punter for Calgary, has a 46-yard punting average in all the playoff games he's played, which is exceptional, exceptional. Medlock's is 40. Uh, now, that 
you know, that that's a number. Those are a couple of numbers you can roll around. But Medlock's critically important with the placement of punts and everything else, and he needs to be good because Maver is very, very good. I think where Medlock gives them the edges in the field goal area, you know, if it comes down to it, uh, his playoff record for field goals is fantastic. And they pay him a lot of money. They call him Money Medlock for two reasons. He's money on the kicks, and he makes a lot of money. So if it comes, uh, you know, if it comes down to kicking, and it will, and special teams will be critically important, as they always are. And Bombers have an edge in special teams, Greg. Their return game and cover game is better than Calgary's. It's been better all year long, and Mark Killam of the Stampeders is considered to be a special teams genius. But the Bombers have outplayed Calgary in special teams. So, yeah, I think special teams and Medlock, Hugely important. I'll just say one name then, Ed. You can take it from there. Janarian Grant. I was just going to go there, Greg. I mean, you think if his CFL debut was here against Calgary in that game in August that Winnipeg won, he had over 300 yards in returns, two punt return touchdowns. The, the last game here returned that missed convert for two points, which was a critical turn, turn of events in a game that Winnipeg won by one. So I think uh, he's... I think he's the most dangerous return man in the CFL right now. And he only has only played 11 games in his career, but there's something about him. He he doesn't make bad decisions already. Like, you know, you, you expect guys back there to field a, a punt in the wrong area or, you know, not let it go into the end zone. But he doesn't make those kind of decisions anymore. Uh, he is a straight-ahead guy when he, when he does catch it. And I just think that... Uh, for me, if you're looking for an X factor, that's the one that I would say is going to be huge on Sunday for the Bombers to win. Well, the guy that was the king of of punt returns never was flashy was Paul Bennett. He always went north-south. He never broke too many, but that's the difference, right? Is Janarian Grant has the ability to break it every single time he fields a, a punt or a missed field goal. Well, that's what I love about the guy when we first got our got our first look at Janarian Grant My, I, and all punt returners I look at them the same way are they going to catch the ball belly back 10 yards and think they can use their speed to get to the edge well it doesn't work like that in this league because the cover guys are just as fast as you are and they have a better angle on you when they're coming downfield Janarian Grant went straight ahead as Ed pointed out and that's a, a tremendous attribute I think and and one of the reasons he's so good and he's tough too I mean he he goes right into the traffic looking for a little bit of room, and he's got great lateral movement, but he's not afraid to take people on. He's been a, a tremendous addition to the team. If six yards on every punt can make a difference, going north-south, preferably north, on the kick return or on the punt return, and even if you're only getting 11, 12, 13 versus getting nothing, goes a long way. Last one. Coaching is obviously a huge thing. We remember Dave Dickinson and the Canadian Mafia con comment from last year's Western Final. And so there's a real rivalry, I think, growing between the Bombers and the Stampeders. But Mike O'Shea, using his challenges at the right time, doing all the little things right. I know we don't typically armchair a ton of coaching decisions, but it's Mike's going to have to be perfect to out-coach out or to be on the same level as Dave Dickinson. Am I overstating that? No. Well, I think coaching is important in these games when it comes to critical decisions. You're talking about third down gambles, uh, when to use your challenge, and Mike O'Shea doesn't like to use his challenge early uh, because he likes to save it till later in the game, doesn't like to use it unless he's fairly certain he'll win, and sometimes he'll take a guess you know, when you really have no other choice. Uh, coaching will be important, but I think, Greg, sometimes it's overrated too. You know, uh, the Bombers will have some plays designed to disrupt Bo Levi Mitchell, okay? And then it's up to the players to do it. 
Uh, you know, you can talk about the coaches all you want, and if the Bombers lose this game, it'll fall at Mike O'Shea's feet. You know, he's lost another playoff game. That's the way it works, right? Uh, but I think we can sometimes overrate coaching. Yeah, O'Shea's got to be sharp. So does Dickinson and the people around them because Paul Appleys calls the plays on offense, and uh, Glenn Young will uh, and Richie Hall will call the plays on defense, and Mike O'Shea will basically watch, and his biggest role will be making the challenges and the decisions on timing and, and that sort of thing. So he'll need to be sharp there, of course, but there's a lot of other people around him who will have to be just as sharper, sharper. Come on, Tate. Disagree with Irving. I'm, I can't. He's the legendary Bob Irving, right? Look, uh, I know where Bob's going with this. I think you can game plan, and we always talk about the X's and O's, especially at this time of year, because every decision can be critical in a game. You know, clock management, uh, you know, even deciding to go for a field goal instead of maybe risking it on a third and one in the score zone. But to me, it's the, the part that makes this game so intriguing is that there's two really evenly matched teams, and I think it's going to take a play by a Willie Jefferson, a freakish play that, you know, these athletes out there are going to do something. A Janarian Grant is going to, you know, bust a couple tackles and return a touchdown. The Bombers hope that it's not Eric Rogers or Reggie Begleton or somebody like that, but it's always about the athletes out there. As much as you can game plan uh, this stuff to, you know, you can stay up all night working on that kind of stuff, it's ultimately, it's a guy that breaks a tackle. It's a guy that makes a circus catch. It's a guy that, you know, it's a shoestring tackle diving that's against the script that, that, that ultimately decides these ones. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. On behalf of Doug Brown in Nicaragua doing some humanitarian work, Greg Mackling, Bob Irving, Ed Tate signing off. We hope to be setting up the West Final between the Blue Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on the next Blue Bomber podcast. Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.